You're listening to A Quality Podcast with your hosts, John Thacker Jr. and Jake Harrell. I have a client that has gone on a lean journey of 25 plus years and they've evolved and they have really evolved well. And I was asked recently what my favorite term for lean people is. And they call their guys, and I use guys in the generic sense that two of the seven are women, it's lean champion. Their job is to champion lean within the corporation. And welcome, everybody, to A Quality Podcast, the last episode of Season 3, and we are thrilled to have with us today Bob Rush. Bob is a CI engineer at Gibson Custom Shop, which is pretty awesome. Hope we get to talk about that a little bit. Uh, Bob also has an extensive career, including Vice President of Operations with Lynn Engineering. He was an Associate Lean Manager with Tesla um, and has been a management consultant for half a decade uh, Bob, you bring a lot to the table and the conversation. We're thrilled to have you on today. Oh, thanks for having me. I, I look forward to it. I hope to have a few laughs, maybe share a little knowledge. Well, I'm sure we'll uh, laugh as long as Jake is on board. Um, <laughs> so great. Glad, uh, glad you could come on today. We wanted to talk about, you know, we were throwing some ideas back and forth and we were talking about what lean looks like in different industries, which I think is a pretty cool and useful topic because... There's some, uh, I don't know, diffusion around the word lean mm-hmm. these days where it's, it's used so much in so many contexts that it, it's losing its meaning a little bit. It, is that fair? That's absolutely correct. It has lost its meaning, um, partly because it is used as a generic term rather than to specify a specific function or um, activity. So now it's, I'm a lean guy means, you know, I, I think about it. So therefore I am. So yeah. Yeah. I wish it was that easy. Yeah, uh, I'm... <laughs> I'm an expert. Let me tell you how many nights I've stayed up <laughs> thinking about. So I was listening to uh, Dr. M's podcast recently and I forget the guest he had on, which I apologize for. Um, but he was making the distinction, you know, before, getting into his conversation, he was making a distinction between lean production, which is, Mm -hmm. you know, the application of basically TPS principles um, to producing goods. He was distinguishing between that and enterprise lean, Mm -hmm. which I think is, you know, a really valuable distinction to make because if you're in a factory and, and I get it, you know, I've worked with a lot of production people, ops people, engineers, and they don't necessarily have a business background, but in the C-suite, your production environment, the whole thing is a cost center, mm-hmm. right? Which mm-hmm. is why the transition, you know, in language to like value creation around lean doesn't make sense, mm-hmm. right? From, a, from an enterprise standpoint, production doesn't create value. Mm-hmm. Um, it realizes the promise of value, but they're not making decisions to add value to the product, right? They're kind of just executing the plan. So some clarity around, you know, when we're talking about lean and 
what lean looks like in different industries. I guess we have we we kind of need to start out by saying we're we're not necessarily talking about enterprise lean so much as production lean. Fair. Yeah, some of it will be enterprise lean because there's some industries that have no production. One of yeah. my clients was in financial services. There's no yeah, some of the uh, I don't know application I guess uh-huh. of theory. Mm-hmm. It it gets a little weird. I mm-hmm. hear people arguing about the silliest things. I mean, it seems silly to me. I'm not. <laughs> you're, talking, you're talking about my LinkedIn where we argue about stuff. It's definitely mine. Largely Jake. So he's involved. <laughs> um, but, you know, uh, there, there is like some but probably less fruitful. I'm not picking on anybody in particular. But, you know, conversations about, you know, Will, how do you define value-added activity you know, when you're originating bank mortgages. Well, how about if you stop worrying about that and just start worrying about what do I want more of and what do I want less of, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I think a lot of people um, get hung up on eliminating waste and they don't focus on adding value, right? I mean, because really you're trying to enhance value for whatever customer you have, whether it's the next assembly station or it's a bank that you're doing uh, back office work for. It doesn't matter. They're just, what's the value? So yeah, we'll go eliminate waste, but you're really worried about the adding the value. And I think a lot of people forget about that. Well, I probably have a, a slightly different perspective. I see the value as like, I don't know, the banana and the waste mm-hmm. is the banana peel. Mm-hmm. And in most cases <laughs> in operations, I have the... Um, the capability, resources, and authority to peel the banana. Uh-huh. What I don't have is the capability, resources, or authority to create the banana or turn it into an orange or something like that, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so sometimes if I'm looking at like different, call it cells, I, I'm just going to use that generically, but it, area, operating areas of a business, of a mm-hmm. value stream. I just look at what's the banana to this guy. Mm-hmm. Everything else is the peel. I can take that off. And typically I don't need permission. Um, I don't need a CapEx or something like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's something that I can do, you know, kind of, kind of right now. Did you just make the analogy that all the production people are monkeys? <laughs> Jake, I did not even. Damn you for that comment, John. Are, I work in production. <laughs> why are you associating never mind monkeys don't even eat bananas that's like <laughs> oh, and on the next episode of Mythbusters, do monkeys right, eat right. bananas <laughs> only south american monkeys i yeah. mean yeah i don't know i guess uh, like malaysia has monkeys yeah. and bananas yeah yeah now we'll i have understand to do an episode your... on that <laughs> i understand your point but um, I have people so focused on waste that they forget the value. What does your yeah, customer I mean, want? They're not a, linked to their customer, if you know what I mean. Yeah, I mean, yeah. You talk about customers, and you know, I'm lecturing my new guys about it. You have internal and external customers. Yeah, the external ones could be some cool musician, or it could be you know some huge guitar center type or something like that but you have internal customers and what do they want what do they need and when do they want it and uh, you know 
their eyes are getting hurt wide open all of a sudden to realize that that's the case that so and that's the value part understand the value delivering to the next station so yeah i currently run a uh, factory we manufacture tempered shower enclosures so okay. you know glass showers and mm-hmm. i think the uh i don't know if pitfall might be too strong of a word but challenge for like an individual group so you'll have one group that takes blanks that have uh-huh. raw edges so you know sharp edges where the glass has been separated and they polish the edges and there's machines that do that right if they're focused on just waste elimination mm-hmm. right then their goal is essentially to get those pieces done as quickly as possible with mm-hmm. a certain acceptable quality level mm-hmm. right the problem is unless we as management go through and make that acceptable quality level, align that with the next station or stations because mm-hmm. the job shop, um, then you're, you're kind of missing the, missing the pitch there. Absolutely. So next, next group, right? Absolutely. Yeah. That's what I'm going through now is to get them to talk to each other in terms of acceptable versus unacceptable. Um, yeah. And, you know, most production shops, I'll just, for, it's all about volume. It's how many did you produce? And very rarely does how many did you net become the first number that should be it. And that's, right. that's wrong in our world. At least it should be that we should be worried about that net number. And how do I get that to be a one for one ratio, right? Everyone I touch yeah. passes. How do I do that? So, What are well, some quick wins in that uh, guitar world? What are some audience a little bit about some nitty gritty about the guitar world? In my vast two weeks of experience um, <laughs> in, in a sea of people that have been doing it for 20, 30, 40 years, um, building guitars for, I mean, names that everybody knows and worships like uh, Slash or um, Eric Clapton. Yeah, Clapton's more a Fender guy. Um, <laughs> that so was a use- joke for people, that, <laughs> nah. for people that know music that was an yeah. inside joke <laughs> yeah although he did start out a Les Paul guy but when he um, started running around with Jimi Hendrix he switched to a Strat and he's more closely associated with it now although he does have SGs that he trots out in concert now so um, it's a different world I, I've told the guys where I'm at now Every factory is the same and every factory is different. My job is to show you how they're the same and your job is to educate me on how they're different. So you go through it and you figure it out. There's flow, right? I mean, everything is flow. Um, So it's wood, which is new to me because the last factory I spent a tremendous amount of time in, it was Tesla, which was a little different factory than the one I'm in now. (laughs) That's for sure. it's an interesting world and and it's one of artisanship as opposed to um you know do you just go to this machine and it's going to cut it perfectly for you every time wood there are variations within the wood so when you're working on say like a body you want the people to be aware of that the um the wood itself is i mean just the most obvious example is a knot will cause great aggravation and that goes away. But another one that's really cool is the grain of the wood. So if you look at um, guitars, and you will see people talk about, um, you know, 59 gold top. Well, the gold top is painted gold because the wood doesn't have much grain in it. 
-hmm. But then you'll hear about a flame, a sunburst flame. And that's yeah. when it's heavily grained. They butterfly the, the block of wood for the body to come up with a laminate so they can match the, the uh, match it together to get that flame appearance. And then certain colors draw it out, which is why you see a lot of, uh, of the reddish um, burst guitar because the red draws the, the grain out. So yeah. Um, Everywhere you go, there are guitars in various stage. And if you walk the flow, it's incredible that it comes in a block of wood that they machine down to make a neck piece. And a body comes in and they actually, um, the laminated ones, they press the laminate on top. And it's just a block that's like, oh boy, two foot by two foot by maybe four or five inches. They glue it, they press it, and then they start machining it and they cut the, for example, less Paul shape out, and that's how it goes through the process. So binding. tobacco sunburst, yeah, tobacco that's... sunburst, less Paul is my yeah. green guitar. It's is a it little, really? It's a little pricey for me. I'm not yeah. good enough to buy a good guitar, so yeah, yeah. Well, there's one on our wall in our conference room. Um, it, it, I mean, they're just everywhere. So watching them, the most artisanship process that they have is binding so and binding is um the plastic that's around the edge of the guitar and the higher quality guitar is the more binding there is so most guitars are just binding on the top of the body but the really good ones get binding on the body on the neck and on the bottom um and it's um they actually tie they call it rope but it's like a cloth type thing that's like 50 feet long and they bind it and then they tie it to set the glue and they have to tie it in such a way and it has i mean talk about standard work it literally tells them that you have to you know a quarter of an inch from the horn it has to be this has to be turn number three and things like that and it's just and you watch these guys go to it and then when it comes off it's beautiful right and this is before they're finished this is still raw wood but the binding goes on and then you get um Signature models, so artists will, will allow their name to be used. Um, and they come up with binding that's incredible, black and white check binding or roses or something like that. It's just, I mean, the whole process is fascinating to me. Now, this is a guy that spent um, from semiconductors, I ran a wafer fab for a while, to Tesla, I mean, and everything in between, to go into a guitar shop, you're like, Oh man, this is a totally different world. This is just different. Um, finishing, it's much like paint shop at Tesla. I mean, it's kind of the same thing. You paint it, lacquer, cure it. So, and then it goes in and, and gets uh, buffed. So it gets that pretty sheen when it goes to the dealer or to the artist, you know. Um, it goes through to uh, final assembly and final assembly here is really where it becomes a guitar. Up till now, it's just a guitar body. But in final assembly, they put strings on, they put stop bars on, they put pickups in. Pickups are actually wired by Gibson. Every pickup is a Gibson, unless you order a Seymour Duncan or something like that. But uh, we have a shop that makes our pickups for us. At Custom Shop, because we're in the ultra high end, we are the ultimate Gibson. Um, we actually have a, an assembly line that picks the best of the best of the pickups for us. 
they rework the ones they can to get them up to our standards. Otherwise, they go back to uh, Gibson USA, and it goes into the Epiphones and things like that. But it's an incredible process. So, so that's really cool. It sounds like to me, um, you know, where you're working now is much more highly customized. Um, now, there's a little bit of a misconception out there that I've heard from people that are not in automotive. Uh -huh. And that misconception is that uh, cars are and automobile production is not very custom. You know, it's the same thing. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, <laughs> and everyone's right, custom is my lipstick. Huh? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But everyone yeah. who's been in auto production knows that that's complete hogwash. And it's a miracle that Toyota can produce a Highlander and then a Corolla off of the same damn production line 57 seconds apart. And yeah. with, with custom right... color and, and everything, oh, you know, God. to match up to that serial. Yeah. Um, Just... So, but ha setting that out of the way, right? Mm -hmm. So a lot of that production manufacturing is far more customized than inexperienced people think it is. You know, uh -huh. lead will never work in my industry. We're too custom. Hence my discussion. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. But you, you bring up some uh, a couple of really interesting points that I think maybe sets apart what you're doing now as we uh -huh. talk about like lean in different industries. Mm -hmm. um, one is the natural substrate. You know, mm -hmm. uh, wood is different and kind of your inventory self-determines a little bit what it can be used for, you know, yep. depending on the placement of knots and the grain structure and all of that. Yep. And I'm it sure you have graded. some... Yeah, graded and sorted, mm -hmm. right? And then you have artists that are using machines and tools to, you know, craft different bits of the guitar out mm -hmm. of this natural substrate. Mm -hmm. And then you have the custom finishes mm -hmm. that, you know, finish out uh, the work or whatever. And so at every level, you have some sorting and grading. Mm -hmm. You have a very high skill level where, you know, maybe the guy that is applying the fabric, like you were talking about earlier, you know, maybe you can't just hire somebody off the street to do that, right? Okay. So talk to me a little bit about um, the reduction of risk, right? How do you assess how risky things are to basically affect or shut down production? You know, in, in my plant, my factory that I run, I can hire somebody tomorrow and it's about two weeks before they're really contributing. Yeah. I imagine some of some of the roles that you're working with, that's not the case. Yes. Well, I will tell you that it, depending on the role, there's some that you can come in and in a week, you can be doing it at our uh, rate that we want every day. And there's other some jobs. of the CI roles. Yeah. <laughs> well, the CI role hit the daily rate day one. That was part of the agreement. So um, there was no training. So um, and there's other jobs that take three to six months to really get them to the finesse point. Um, so that's part of what I'm working on first is to figure those out. And how can we um, how can we speed that up not impact quality? Because, again, this is the custom shop. This is not, you know, $100. You ordered on Amazon guitar and the strings aren't right and the intonation's wrong. And these are, and a lot of them go to famous people or yeah. people that are famous enough to have money. Um, and, and so you really, I am at least cognizant of that. So we're doing it. We're trying to attack it three ways. One is I'm 
working with the um, the people that have been there the longest to talk about when you did that job, what were the secrets to that job? Mm-hmm. And now I have them actually doing uh, a semi-modified stand and circle exercise in the um, in the areas they used to work in. And give me a list of your observations of it. So, and one area that we're actually having our first official Kaizen in um, starting next week, uh, some of the guys that are in the, the buffing area came from that area. They moved upstream. Um, and they are, they have come up with lists of things for me of why, of what the differences are between they, when they were there and what's going on now and what they think we should improve. So yeah, you're working with them. And you t- I mean, the best part of my job, and I think of lean, is the talking to the people. Because I talk to everybody. I talked to the CEO on Wednesday. And I talked to a guy that started on Tuesday. He went to orientation on Monday, was in our factory Tuesday, and I talked to him. So you're going to talk to a range of people and find people are fascinating. I mean, the one thing I know for a fact is very few people in life wake up in the morning hoping or wishing that they make a mistake. I think everybody comes in hoping, wishing that they don't make a mistake. Maybe maybe everybody but Mark Graben, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, Mark is That's really like thinking that. that he knows that mistakes are going to happen. So, yeah. 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 No, I, yeah. I really Having I me love on that, his right? podcast was one. <laughs> <laughs> well, he won't invite me on his yeah. podcast because I've never made a mistake. Okay. Um, and if you, <laughs> if you believe that, I got a yeah. bridge to sell. Yeah, right. Yes. Uh, yes. So I, I really appreciate uh, you sharing that. I pulled a couple of things out there, right? Mm-hmm. Um, one was you have people in the shop that used to do other jobs and you're uh-huh. tapping into that knowledge uh-huh. and experience, right? That yeah. is really cool. Uh-huh. I think that's something that, you know, a lot of folks can learn from. Like talk to and listen to your people. You know, I had an experience that was similar and the people that had used to do this job over here were largely discounted because the business had evolved so much since they yeah. used to do this job, right? Mm-hmm. And I just made it a point to say, hey, how did you used to do this? Yeah. You know, and, and get them to show me and talk to them. And what we found out was, yes, they, they did it differently, right? The work had evolved since then. But some of the problems were the same. Mm-hmm. And they had some really cool, clever ways of getting around those problems, that everyone could implement right now. And mm-hmm. yes, it didn't eliminate the root cause. Yeah. It wasn't fancy, but it yeah. did allow the team to get more of what they want and less of what they want, don't want for the least possible effort, right? Yep. 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 So I always tell people um, it costs nothing to talk because you never know when your next problem or solution is going to walk up to you. Right. So. My sensei taught me that you have two ears and one mouth for a reason. (laughs) (laughs) And he has his interpreter still remind me on a constant basis. So I'm sure I'll get a note about this when he sees it. So, Well, that's good. And you know what? It's, it's kind of cool that, you know, you're still in contact. Mm -hmm. Um, That uh, kind of relationship is so valuable. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the people in the States, um, when they hear sensei, they have one idea, but in Japan, sensei means a totally different thing. And, you know, in the States, we talk about it meaning teacher, but it, it actually is uh, very, 
much an honor, uh, you know, to be called sensei by somebody. It goes along with how far down do you bow with that person. But what I learned with my sensei was, if it's truly a, a sensei relationship, it becomes more than just teaching. It becomes a partnership and a journey. And um, he taught me that um, regardless of the amount of experience you have, you're still learning. And that yeah. guy that you think you're teaching, it might be teaching you something if you're not listening. So, yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, there's Having a level been of John trust Sensei there, for the past five years. I completely agree with that. <laughs> I don't know if I do. <laughs> you know what we do need to do, John? We need to go the entire episode without ever mentioning <coughs> why I have different makeup every time I'm on camera. <laughs> Just never address it. Yeah. <laughs> Just leave it as is. You have to watch the episode. Yeah, let's yeah. discuss it at the very end. Then people yeah. have to watch the whole episode. You know? <laughs> oh, then, then have a giveaway of some kind for the person that gets yeah. the... Gets yeah. the yeah. It's a color-coded <laughs> matrix. We're expecting five words. You get a gift card or something. If you can list the number of changes in makeup Jake had during the show, we'll give you a free giveaway. Yeah, well, so... Uh. We, we were talking earlier, kind of before the cameras were rolling, about, um, you know, some of the challenges out there in what we do. And, of course, our last episode here on Equality Podcast was uh, a little um, tongue-in-cheek poking fun at all of the hogwash we have to fight through um, on the Internet, you know, sort of all the time. Um I haven't come across it too much in my career, but I have come across it uh, quite a bit trying to uh, consult, you know, freelance consult. Mm -hmm. um, and that is like a poisoning of the well, mm -hmm. right? Where unskilled and inexperienced people basically foul it up for everybody else. Yep. Is that, yeah, talk to me about that. I made a good career out of following up those guys. Um, there was one in, one in particular I followed to four companies and he shifted careers and my, my consulting business died. I had to go back to work. So, um, um, there's a lot of people out there. So I tell people, you know, everybody wants to hire consultants as a fix. There are yep. good consultants out there. There are a lot of good consultants out there that I've run across. <clears throat> Don't be afraid to ask in-depth questions about their pedigree who what when yeah. why where right yeah so so i was trained by shinga jitsu well that's okay that's pretty easy to track down what do they stand for who have they trained you know what yeah. do they do if he uses their style what are the kind of results they get that kind of thing if you see them coming from one of the big consulting firms and their lean experience is in the big consulting firm in all yeah. likelihood they're not going to be good at it they've not yeah. seen it they've not lived it so I tell people, look for experience, somebody that's been there, done that. And by been there, done that, I mean, lived it, like not just as a consultant, but was in production or was in whatever you're trying to fix. If it's uh, financial services, he was in that industry, did that work. Now he's doing this because he's got to understand it. Right. I mean, we talked about flow. Yeah. You got to understand the flow. And yes, I mean, I just did a huge value stream map and showed people that. 
but you really got to understand the flow. So the only way I was able to accomplish that was to take one of the production supervisors that's been there seven years and started on the floor and worked his way up and did every job. And he was able to show me it, show me the bottlenecks and da da da. So those are the things I ask for. I or look for. I also look for a cultural fit. Mm-hmm. Uh, just one example is at Gibson, even the CEO wears jeans and a t-shirt. Nowadays, it's always a Gibson shirt. Sign, sign me up, man. Like, yeah. that sounds I mean, awesome. it's like <laughs> that's, it's just jeans and T-shirts. And when I told him that was one of the things that attracted me, he, he had like this. Yeah. How cool is that? I mean, he was all excited. And our CEO, I really like him. His name is James Curley, JC. He came from Levi's. He was the guy that helped turn around Levi's. Oh, really? I, that's I, why I he's wearing jeans. Yeah. 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 It has stock in it. Yeah. 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 No, yeah. I, I'm familiar with the name from a... Uh, I think it was an economist article about yeah. the turnaround over there. So that's yeah. really cool. Yeah. And he brought part of his team there. So that's the leadership team at Gibson, Gibson Brands is the parent. Um, and that's the attitude they brought with them. Right. And I mean, he's, uh, he's energetic. He's happy that people are joining the company. He's, um, you know, he was brought in because of the bankruptcy. So he came in at a dark moment and started doing really cool things. I mean, just recently, uh, he did a dollar an hour um, increase for everybody. <laughs> Jake, you got to say something so that the audience knows why we're laughing. No, I'm just going to leave it as it is. No, you're not going to get any direction. From that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Jesus. So, so anyway, JC um, just wants to fix things, but he gave a dollar an hour adjustment to all the hourly people because of the price of gas. Oh, that's and he cool. says, he says, look, I put, I think he said his wife's car, I, I put it in her SUV and I thought, holy mackerel, how much, how could my people on the floor afford this? Oh my. So he did it. He did a dollar an hour. And I thought, uh, you know, I thought that was really cool. I really did. This is a guy that gets yeah. people that understands them. Now I can work with it. Right. And I yeah. tell the story. I did interview at Gibson when I first moved here to Tennessee. Uh, they were looking for a lean guy and I interviewed with the past management team. Um, and I went away saying I never worked there ever under any circumstances. And that company is going to go bankrupt. And it took them um, two years after I said that to do it. So you could just see it. It was a horrible place. Bad, bad juju there. Just, you know, mm. you knew somebody was sacrificing chickens in the back room trying to get guitars out. <laughs> <laughs> what a, uh, what a it, suspiciously I've... specific comment. You can't touch this. <laughs> I'm going to steal that, though. Yeah. Our, yeah. our production plan is sacrifice another chicken. <laughs> yeah. Well, see, but there's levels. You have to go through levels, right? You start right, right, with KFC, yeah. you sacrifice KFC first, <laughs> and then you do a frozen chicken. <laughs> And finally, when all else fails, it's a live chicken. I'm sorry, guys. Not Gertrude. No. <laughs> Not Gertrude. <laughs> so, and then um, it's funny because I w- really wasn't interested, but the guy that's my boss is a guitar industry veteran, famous, well-known, uh, helped lead the Fender turnaround, helped lead uh, Lean at Fender in the early 2000s. They were famous for what they had done and taken this artisan industry and done these incredible things. I even toured their factory and thought they're doing some really cool stuff. So, so when I found out he would be my boss, I thought, well, I'll check it out. 
it, uh, it was really quick how I joined. It was uh, Tuesday after Memorial Day, the headhunter called me. And the following Friday, I got a job offer. Awesome. Yeah. Hey, that, uh, that says something, right? Um, uh, yeah. That is one of the things, like, when I look for culture fit, mm-hmm. one of the things that I assess is their talent acquisition process. Mm-hmm. Right? The companies that I've worked for where the need is apparent and it takes, you know, two months to make a decision, that tells me something about the company. You know, at the mm-hmm. very least, it tells me that they are committed to ossified processes, mm-hmm. right? But more frequently than not, it tells me they don't know, like, what they really want. You know, they they, they just don't know. Mm-hmm. Uh, somebody's on vacation. Mm-hmm. There's no nobody to pick up the ball. The process doesn't move forward, right? Sloppy, all of that. Yep. And in today's market, with, you know, how tight the labor source is, Come on, man. That is how aliens had a significant impact on the 2020 election. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, Bob, you were talking about joining Gibson. Yeah. And how quick the process was. Go ahead. Please yeah. continue. Okay. So I talked to the guy that's my boss um, by Zoom with the HR person. And I thought, oh, he's pretty cool. It's kind of like what I thought. And I'll hear from him in a week or two. So, um, and then... That night, I got a call from the headhunter saying, uh, how did it go? And I said, oh, I think it went okay. I'm not sure that I aced it. And I always say that because I always think I could do better. And uh, she says, well, apparently you did better than you thought because they would like to, um, to set up an on-site interview with you. I said, okay. And she said, list out some times. And I was actually in the middle of a Kaizen with a client uh, where we were testing it out on second shift. The Kaizen was the second shift. <laughs> My client sees this. He's going to laugh. He, he's like, I don't know. For some reason, the changes on first shift really work good. And then second shift, they're not so good. <laughs> well, I can tell you why. <laughs> so, so I spent three weeks of long nights on second shift figuring it out. So, so I had time during the day. So they had me come in and meet the team. So I'm, uh, and it's a, a great team. I really enjoyed it. Um, and uh, no, I should I should probably market that that whole um, transmission of change to other shifts. So mm-hmm. I've spent years and years in five and four shift operations. And mm-hmm. always the biggest challenge was, you know, we would have like, ex- <laughs> Jake, <laughs> we, we would have, uh, ex- you know, the experts come in usually. Uh, oh, boy. Uh, corporate employees occasionally mm-hmm. like external consultants but um mostly corporate employees they'd come in and they would always work on first shift and i would uh-huh. get a little annoyed because they would like fly in on monday and spend uh-huh. like an hour at the site and then they would work nine to five on the dot and then uh-huh. they would fly out friday morning so uh-huh. i'm paying for a week but uh-huh. really get three days yeah but it was always on first shift and then it would be up to me to make it stick uh-huh first and I, you know, eventually developed a skill there. Mm-hmm. And uh, now that you bring it up, we should totally like that should be part of our marketing tagline for Zoom OpX, right? Mm-hmm. It's like, hey, we can do this. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, they did have um, handoff meetings, but their handoff meetings were, well, machine ABC is down. You know, Joe yeah, Blow wasn't yeah. here today, so we didn't run the parts. It wasn't about, hey, by the way, this um this guy came in and did these lean exercises and changed everything we did <laughs> right. um, 
And then the second shift guy comes in and finds out his whole cell has been rearranged. Right, right. And where's my machine? The whole yeah, machine is yeah. moved. This guy, who is this guy? So I usually make jokes about the short fat guy. I call myself the short fat guy. So I'm sure on that second shift, they're like the short fat stupid guy that moves stuff. So so I spent three or four weeks on that second shift, and that was right as, a, as Gibson was happening. So I had time, went into Gibson to meet the, the team, went away and pressed a couple of young supervisors that I thought had potential. I could really help shape them and, you know, get them thinking differently, that kind of thing. And I thought, oh, I'll hear from them next week or something like that. I was driving home. I live about 40 miles south of Nashville, a little town called Murfreesboro. Um, and I was driving home, phone rings, it's a headhunter. How did it go? And I said, I think it went okay. I mean, I, there's other things I could have done better. And they had somebody from engineering on there that didn't like the way I said things like uh, value stream maps. There's a certain way of doing them. The Shingajitsu way, you do, you know, identify Kaizen as you go and things like that. And what makes you think we don't do that? And I just said, because you haven't been trained by Shingajitsu. I mean, <laughs> That's what makes me think it. So yeah, uh, and I found out later that he's the director of continuous improvement for Gibson USA. So I thought, you know, I thought, well, I bombed there, and I'm sure he'll have his say in it, and blah blah blah. But she says, well, then are you available later for a call from from Sergio, my boss, because he wants to offer you a job? And I thought, holy mackerel, you know, nine days, start to finish. This is this is incredible. This to a lean guy, this is the way to do it. Yeah. Once you're sure of the cultural fit, right? I mean, you can ask questions to test knowledge, but it's the cultural fit, right? And Sergio yeah. was good at it. He figured it out pretty quick. So, so yeah, I was happy. I was enthused. And um, literally, my Kaizen event on the second shift ended 3 a.m. Monday morning, and I was in onboarding at Gibson at 8 a.m. So I was a awesome. sunshine and lollipop. What a turnaround. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, I was, I was not the happiest camper in the room. That's for sure. <laughs> so, so That's then, pretty cool. Yeah. The well, Gibson I'll tell you what. manager is probably one of the coolest people you've ever met who understands people well. I mean, he understands people. So, um, and he picked up on it and he kind of yeah. helped me through. Well, I like the part where, um, the director, right, of CI, uh, maybe didn't see eye to eye. I love that when when I'm trying to, you know, if, if we're being honest these days, we have a lot less opportunity to be picky about who we're hiring. That's that's just like where we are at right now. Uh, Let me just clarify, States. John. Did you just say the um, director of CI didn't see eye to eye? <laughs> Why is that funny? I don't understand. Gosh, dang it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but um, so but uh, when we when I have the chance, and particularly you know like higher level roles, um, I like to find people that can communicate well, are cooperative, and are trying to make things better. Who disagree, mm -hmm. right? Now, not disagree to the extent that like you know, they have bad philosophy or they were trained poorly mm -hmm. or they have a strong opinion that is bad, mm -hmm. but, but disagree, you know, genuinely. Mm -hmm. um, the foundation for me for sort of rapid improvement is having a bunch of different ideas, but the glue that holds it together is 
is the mission bigger than your personal ego? Yep. That's the thing, right? If I can find somebody that is committed to the mission and the vision and the company ahead of their own ego, then I hope they disagree with me because the worst case scenario is somebody in the hierarchy has to say, okay, time to stop bitching. We're going this direction. Yeah. Right. That's the worst thing that can happen. Yeah. Most of the time, what ends up happening is you have a really fruitful conversation. You know what? I never thought about it that way before. I've never actually experienced that problem. Oh, I see why you're framing it that way. Right. And, and everybody grows together. So when you talk about, you know, cultural fit, the first thing that I look for is, you know, can this person subordinate their ego to like the team and the mission and what, and if they can bring it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, if you're in our world, the lean world, your ego is in results. I mean, that's the only place you, uh, you know, Thank you. Never... Thank you for saying that out loud. Yeah. Like the inspiration on LinkedIn and why I'm there every single day is people quabble over terms or definitions or X or Y. <laughs> like businesses care about results. And if it's yeah. not that, shut the hell up. Yeah. Well, is it continual improvement or continuous improvement? There's uh, a difference. <laughs> Uh, okay. It's to be a centrifugal we, force, we, not a centripetal force. Yeah. We talked about hot buttons and the whole thing about technicalities <laughs> about lean. It's yeah. one of my hot bot- hot buttons. Yeah. I, I don't care if you call it I went to Duma Flatchy and did something, as long as you did something. Um, you know, where did he go? Say that again. Duma Flatchy. Duma Flatchy. That's a term from the late 70s, early 80s. We got tired of saying widgets. So people started saying, I'm making Duma flatchies. Right? And, then, and then somebody uh, somewhere, I, I'm from Silicon Valley, uh, somewhere along the line, somebody told me it was Greek for bad words. So you're like, I don't think so. But then I stopped using it just in case, you know, I'd be in that meeting where the Greek prime minister was or something. Right, right. You, right. you. <laughs> you know, so. I'm pretty but, sure there's a Sandra Bullock movie about that exact plot. I'm not <laughs> Oh, gee, <laughs> So, yeah, I don't I don't get hung up on the technicalities. I don't care if you call it what you call it, what you do. What I care about is results. Now, my job is to teach you those tools. And I'll tell you what I was told. But, you know, here's my two recent examples. Gibson, they love Japanese terms. So Mm -hmm. I just took a Gemba walk with my boss at Tesla. They hate Japanese terms. So we had to Americanize everything. Mm-hmm. And it's just, why? Why? It's the same thing. It's, I'm doing the same action. And I, I mean, I really get hot about it. And then the people get so hung up on it. They want to have these intense discussions about, and I always use on a value stream map, the inventory symbol. You know, well, you didn't put the number inside. That's not right. You're like, right, right, I knew yeah. how many were there. I'm okay <laughs> with it. Let's move on. <laughs> So, yeah. by the way, you have 18 days of inventory there. Spending any seconds at all arguing about where the number went tells me you don't know the problem. So, let's right. go. So, I just don't want to do it. I, 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 you know, another hot button. And, guys, that my interns that worked with me at Tesla know this. I call it checkbox lean. Mm. They, will, they will download something like the 25 most powerful lean tools. Yeah. And they'll want to use all 25 and put a check mark next to it. And they want you to tell you which situation to use what tool. Yeah. 
but I and again, I was trained by Shingi. They are kind of harsh in some ways. And one of them was that you understand the tools. And the best way to understand the tool is to use it. Go to the yeah. go to Gimba and use it. Use it incorrectly because that'll teach you a valuable lesson. <laughs> As I did many times, and I'm sure my sensei went home at night, drank heavily, and said, "I'm not sure about this guy." Uh, talking my language. Where, yeah. See, you go, you go, and you fix, and you just—that's how you do it, right? I, somebody asked me. One of one of my clients asked me. So I have a client that has gone on a lean journey of 25 plus years, and they've evolved, and they have really evolved well. And I was asked recently what my favorite term for lean people is. And they call their guys, and I use guys in the generic sense, but two of the seven are women. It's lean champion. Their job is to champion lean within the corporation. And their charter is to go where problems are. And that's, I, that's okay, I got it. That's great. I go. love it. That's it. I'm trying to convince my boss to let me do that. And, Apparently yeah. that doesn't fit in the corporate structure. <laughs> right. Yeah. That's hard to budget for. Wait, yeah. wait a yeah. minute, which, yeah. which Excel bucket does this go yeah. in? Right. Oh, yeah. yeah. That's where true lean happens in an Excel spreadsheet, John. <laughs> true lean, absolutely. <laughs> yes. It all happens in an Excel spreadsheet. Uh, let me tell you. Well, although, you know, we joke about this precisely because, um, we've worked at least jake and i have worked with so many accounting systems that don't support lean i'm like it's a fucking business if the accounting system doesn't support lean you're not lean throw it out you can't be lean if but your see, accounting then, system isn't lean. oh my gosh these people with control towers on spending money yeah. like god god forbid anybody spent 50 dollars to make somebody's life better and then you That's wonder right, why your business yeah. sucks right so, okay <laughs> Yeah. Okay. Hot button number three, right. systems that don't work. Everybody mm. talks to me about it. And I've run across systems from SAP down to, you know, we did, we made it ourselves. So I have a client, hundred million revenue. They do everything in Excel. Mm -hmm. They have an Excel Good. master. They have an Excel master at the company that writes everything for them. And, and, uh, and they run it that way. They close their books in two days. I said, geez, why does it take two days? Why not one day? And everybody laughed because who cares? <laughs> so, but if you have a system, it should work for you, right? And I mean, I did yeah. spend time implementing ERP systems. And yeah. I know about the 80% fit. You get 80%, now you start looking. But nowadays, I think you need 95 to 98% mm -hmm. fit with just a couple exceptions, the, the software needs to fit the business, not the business fit the software. Yes, I love that. I always yeah. say the system is supposed to serve the business, not yep. the other way around. Yep. And I can top that. Um, Jake, you may or may not be familiar with a company that may or may not be a real company that I may or may not be supposed to talk about that spent may millions may of dollars. dollars. <laughs> <laughs> may or may not be in court Monday morning. <laughs> right, right. That uh, allegedly um, spent millions of dollars on an ERP. And I swear to God, every important aspect of that business was run on a Google Sheet. <laughs> you know, and I'm like, well, then just run it on the Google Sheet. Yeah. Why are you spending millions of dollars on this ERP? I mean, I'm talking trailer scheduling. Like huh? they're planning 
loads to drop off and pick up and haul mm-hmm. with a Google sheet. Well, then mm-hmm. just use it, you know, forget about the, the ERP. If it works, keep it and improve it. You cause you can always improve, but uh, oh boy. So yeah, we call that philosophy downstream ERP or derp for short. <laughs> derp. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Oh, oh God. Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, I haven't been fired up about ERP in years <laughs> because I've just ignored it. Yeah. So every time I go somewhere and they say, Oh, do, do you want to log in? No, don't want to log in. Yeah. <laughs> nope. Sure don't. Sure don't. So, oh, yeah. I'll have people that can do it. And I mean, uh, you talked about Lynn Engineering. I started out in supply chain there, right? On-time delivery was their issue. Mm. Typical technology company. It's material-driven. Labor is such yeah. a small percentage. So it's material-driven. So, well, let's go look at your material planning. They did have an ERP system, and they forecasted uh, with the typical forecast accuracy, <laughs> uh, you know, in the high teens. Um, and I said, why don't you guys just do, you know, you know, first, why don't you guys just do PFEP, do a plan for every part. You got all the data in the system downloaded into Excel, have your buyers um, modify whatever they want to modify. We did add a supplier rating that became a multiplier for buffers kind of thing. And we did that. And, uh, oh, boy, we cut inventory by about a third in a year but we increase on-time delivery from 68 to 98%. So it's just a go. matter of, of knowing what you got, what do you need, when do you need it, that kind of thing, and keeping the flow going. Now, PFEP, you got to maintain it. Oh, that's horrible. You mean yeah. somebody like a buyer might have to go in and look at their own data on a regular basis? Oh, God. How? So I had to <laughs> oh, clean no, the... Work? That sounds yeah. like work. Yeah. <laughs> Literal so reason to... why the big behemoth in town is, yeah. calls, calls himself SAP. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, so we did that, but then, you know, the next problem is the forecasting cause you know, long lead times and things like that. So I said, why don't you guys just do S and OP or S I O P depending on which version yeah. you want to do, but why don't you just do that? Oh, what's that? So showed them. And three months later we had S and OP in place and we were driving PFEP and um, MRP from the SNOP. So sales would put their things in, us and operations would modify it. The owner would go, oh, heck no, <laughs> and, and change what he wanted. And then uh, we would run with it and life got better. So, and at the end of the year, I was done. I agreed to a year in supply chain because if you spend any time in supply chain, a year is like seven years and dog years. It's um, time to go. It so, yes, yeah. it's time to go back to something normal. So, and uh, we were shutting down for Christmas, and my boss said, uh, "You know, when you come back, we'll talk." And he promoted me to VP of Ops and said, "Oh, bring some more cool tools in and fix that part of it now." So, and that's what we did for the next uh, three and a half years. We did a, you know, pretty much a, you know, Toyota does the five-year cycles. Yep. pretty much did one cycle and got some of the tools in place got them running good all that good stuff had a, a tremendous amount of fun i did so um but at the bob, end of do that, you know where the word forecast comes from what body part i know it comes from but <laughs> it's what it's what's within four deviations of what actually happened <laughs> <laughs> that's, a, that's, a, that's the origin <laughs> 
Yeah, that sounds about right. <laughs> yeah, plus or minus a brick. I got it. Yeah, yeah. I, well, I was close, and you always hear that I was close, right? So well, I was running a, I was running a part of a business for T-Mobile North North America, and this was a three PL responsibility. Uh, we had a hundred percent of their forward logistics, and I think like thirty three percent of their reverse logistics. And I was uh, in charge of the uh, business to business unit. And uh, it, we had a, just a terrible forecast. And all of the people involved in the whole supply chain, you know, both companies were like, well, you know, that's, that's just forecasting. That's just retail. And we had, I had people pulling their hair out because they, they, we were having a very difficult time winning because the forecast was terrible, right? And by terrible, I don't mean off. I mean the amount of variance, right? Mm-hmm. I don't, I don't care if it's within off four by, deviation, <laughs> right? Like I don't care how much it's off by if it's always off by about the same amount, you know. Instead, mm-hmm. it's down here and then up there, right? Uh, so I just kind of asked the, the like the corporate team that came down to the site. I just asked him like, why do we care about the forecast? And like, well, that's how we determine how much labor to use, blah, blah. I was like, okay, but maybe there's another way to think about it where you don't need a forecast in order to be successful. And it, it started a pretty fruitful conversation. What we found out was, you know, yes, we could do some statistical modeling. What they were stuck on was labor uh-huh. and Basically, we were um, the the contract structure, which was uh, very good, by the way, for a three PL. We got paid uh, piece rate, mm-hmm. right? So the amount of expenses that we had was amortized over the the number of pieces, and so mm-hmm. they were they were just stuck on, you know, having as as little labor as possible, which was the main controllable expense, right, to fulfill the demand. But when we got to thinking about it, we realized that that was completely unnecessary, especially given the penalties in place if we missed delivery up mm-hmm. here, right? Mm-hmm. And instead, we could staff somewhere, you know, here where we ran a little bit of overtime when we mm-hmm. went over. And the rest of the time, yes, we had spare labor. Big whoop. There was all kinds of things that we could do with that labor. Yes. You know, all of the projects that weren't getting done, all of the continuous improvement stuff. Three months later, everybody's workstation had a board behind it with the standard work printed out in color. So no one had to pick up anything, right? They could just Perfect. look while they were working with two hands, yeah. right? Yep. And it was just a change in mindset. You yeah. Know, how you're thinking yeah. about the business. Yep. Well, you should know if your company's called T-Mobile that your reverse logistics is going to spike. <laughs> Nobody's <laughs> keeping that shit. <laughs> All right. So anyway, um, Bob, it's been great. It's hard to believe that we've been on here for an hour already, but it yeah. is time to wrap this up and we'll okay. have to plan a sequel. Um, in the meantime, <laughs> do you have any words of wisdom or advice or something cool you'd like to leave our audience with? I, I always tell people that um, your existence is based upon changing somebody else's life for the better. So go out like there and that. do it. Now, the best part of all this is that this is supposed to be fun. I mean, everybody, you know, God, I spent so much time in the corporate world where everybody was just gloom and doom and, you know, that. 
And um, once I started doing lean, I thought I'm going to have fun. I may not fit in the corporate culture, but I'm going to have fun. So I always close out everything. And in particular, the guys that worked with me at Tesla will tell you, I always told them, now get out there and have some fun. So, and if it's not fun, break something and have some fun doing that. So There you uh, go. Well, Bob, I really appreciate that. Thank you for sharing with us today for all of you out there in YouTube land. Thank you for joining us. Goodbye. <laughs> Make up free, I see. <laughs>